Bam, we're live. We'll start the show without you. We're starting the show without the guest today. Look, there's Will. Stream okay, of access. Guys. Uh, Hello. Hey. Wow, that was a seamless change. Oh, shoot, uh, Will. Look, I on, fixed me... Dust. Let's try that again. Go backstage. Oh, look, he's in two places at once. Yeah, which one do you like better? Oh, that one. That second one, I think we got a better connection. Okay, let me. I just kicked you out. All right, how's that? That's awesome. Now I'll fix your Instagram. Perfect, perfect. This is like the old days. Yeah. (laughs) I I know you guys think you're looking at a young man, but, uh, man... If you start digging into this dude, this is an old dude. Do you feel young or do you feel old? Man, I honestly I feel pretty young. You know, how I, old are you? Uh, thirty-five. Man, cause you know stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I I still feel like I'm uh, pretty much really getting in my prime. Honestly, I think it's all men, uh, men, uh, the mentality you have between your ears on and how well you prep prepare yourself inside and outside the arena. So, uh, man, it's life's good. Um, Dusty, who, what's the oldest guy in your profession? Oh man. I don't know. I know there's been as of right. Uh, that's going right now. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, I'd probably say mid to mid forties. Um, but I've known guys that have went into their, uh, went into their fifties before. Um, for me, ideally, I think, uh, if I keep the right mentality and, keep working hard. I think I've got another good 10 years in me for sure. In, in all, in, in all fairness, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge football fan, but like in football, right? Like you hit 35, Mm -hmm. like everyone's wondering if you're, let's say your quarterback, everyone's wondering like, is that your last year? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now there's, is it like that behind your back? Is everyone like, all right, this has got to be Dusty's last year. All right. Oh shit. This has (laughs) got to be his last year. Oh, I'm sure there is just due to the fact of, you know, you know how the world works, you know, people are ready for change and, and something new at times, but, uh, you know, yeah, I've, I've had the question before, when are you going to retire or you about done? And, you know, for some people age 30 to, you know, late twenties to mid thirties, you know, they are done there. They've had enough of it, but, uh, I truly feel this is the calling for my life that God's given me. And, um, like I said, I'm, I'm healthy. Um, right now I'm nursing a injury from the, the Wrangler national finals, but, uh, that's part of it. You just got to take the good with the bad. It's just like with any, any type of physical, uh, career choice you, you choose, you know, there's going to be good days and, and, and rougher days, but you just gotta, you gotta learn to overcome. There's a, there's a sport for those of you who don't know who those of you like me. And it's, it, it takes place in a um, stadium and there's dudes uh, who get on bulls and I guess they have to stay on them while they um, ride around. I guess they get on horses too. Um, mm-hmm. And then when the guy, the guy is holding onto the bull and then when he falls off the bull or when his ride is done, he has to separate himself from the bull. And there are three guys, sometimes two, I guess sometimes even one, and they're called bullfighters. And what they do is they help escort this guy off this crazy animal um, <laughs> to safety. 
And from doing a little research on Dusty, not only do are they trying to keep the guy safe, I guess they're trying to keep the bull safe. I guess they're just good dudes out there. And what Dusty has appeared to have done is he's kind of flipped the script on the sport. I'm trying to think if there's another sport that's happened like this, but he's basically, um, you know, he's part referee, part judge, part medical staff, part, I don't know what you, I don't know if there, is there a parallel to what you do in any other sport? Dusty? Uh, you know, the, like I said, you kind of touched on a lot of it, but, uh, I, I like to just say, you know, whether insurance factor, um, more, more than anything is we're, we're there to take the, the blows so that the, they don't have to, or they can get up and get out of there. So it's, it's a pretty uh, unselfish sport. Um, you're kind of putting your own well being out there for that for another human being, but, uh, I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. So, so Dusty does this and he's done it to such a high level. And um, what's interesting is he is not um, he is not Conor McGregor in his demeanor and his rhetoric, and yet he has brought that type of um, attention to this. People are now going to these events. What do you call them? Rodeo events? Yeah, yeah. So you got your traditional rodeos that has a horse riding in the in the time events, um, and then you got you know your your uh, extreme bulls events, your PBR events that are just strictly. Uh, bull riding but uh yeah definitely in the western industry and so what dusty does is he that's him right there so you saw him pull the rider away and then he's getting the bull's attention from what it looks like in order so that guy can get back to safety and so now people are going to these events to see dusty work and if you watch this video from 2013 if you google his name dusty tuckness i think it's worth a half hour of your time watching his videos it will change your whole perspective uh, it, it would change your whole perspective on what humans are capable of, what this sport's all about. Dusty, do you know? I know you're also a CrossFitter. Do you know who Colton Mertens is? Uh, Colton Mertens, uh, not off the top of my head. Um, I'm assuming he's something to do in the CrossFit world. Yeah, he's a he's a pig farmer out of Iowa. Okay. Um, five foot four, 185 pounds, six percent body fat. Okay just dying to go to the CrossFit games again. Right. And I had, and he takes care of 15,000 pigs on his uh, farm. Oh, nice. And I had him on the show two days ago and he told me, uh, I said, Hey, what's the craziest stuff that's happened to you in the last month? And he was telling me about uh, pigs, just like snouting them and throwing them, yeah. like throwing them in the air. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God. And by then I had already started researching you and I've seen you get just chucked. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's uh, those animals. Their their uh, strength and power is fifteen times more than we can even imagine. You know, and uh, it's not necessarily the 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 horns or the head, the hookings that necessarily hurt the worst. It's uh, it's their feet. You know, when you get stepped on, and that's how I accumulated this injury a couple weeks ago. Is you know, and they're you know they're anywhere from fourteen to uh, 2,200 pounds, uh, that's a lot of weight coming down on your body and something's going to have to give and more or less, it's going to be something on you usually. So, um, you have a, you have a, a line. I don't know if it still is. I don't know. Do, do people's favorite scripture change or do you uh, stick with one your whole life? Some, some do, especially, you know, different, uh, scenarios that strike up in life. But for me, it's been pretty solid for, for a really long time. And it's John fifteen thirteen. Yes, sir. And I had never heard it before until I heard you say it. 
Yeah. And I read it the other day on the show. It says, in, uh, if I'm quoting it wrong, I apologize. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Yeah. That's, those that's dudes, it. those dudes aren't your friends, are they? Yeah, a lot of them are, and some some aren't, I guess. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I've signed up to do a job, and and I've got to do it regardless. You know, that's the kind of way I was raised is you know to step up to the plate and put your best foot forward and. You know, when you when you're refer, re, referring back to John fifteen thirteen, that's what you know Jesus has done for us. You know, some are going to like him, some aren't going to like him, um, but he still, you know, paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. And uh, it just for me, it it, it hit home uh, at such a young age, fighting bulls and some adversity and stuff that I went through as a kid, and then it just something that just hung to me. And you know what? If if he could do that for for those who don't love him, why can't I do that for those that may not respect or love me, but uh, the camaraderie, the sport of rodeo is honestly second to none. I, you know, if I were to uh, line it up with another professional sport, I would probably say CrossFit um, because there, there's the rivalries that everybody wants to see. But, you know, after each event, you consistently see those athletes, you know, uh, uh, genuinely happy for, for each other to be successful or to win an event or make the games for, for that matter of fact. So, that's another reason why CrossFit, I think I really uh, have been drawn to the community of CrossFit uh, is no, no different than the community of rodeo. To, to put um, what Dusty done is in, in perspective, the guy who's the second best in the world has won, has won, I guess you guys call it a championship five times. And depending on, I don't know the difference between the leagues, but you've won it 10 times through the professional rodeo cowboy association and 13 times through the Ranger national finals rodeo. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And, and, and those events that you win, can you describe that to me? That's not, there's not riders on bulls. That's just, you jump in with the bull and dance. Well, so uh, the 13 times that's referred back to the Ranger national finals, what we just got done a couple weeks ago. And that's uh, to give everybody an insight of what, that is if they don't know it it'd be like the super bowl or rodeo you know you got the t- all seven events the the top 15 cowboys and cowgirls in those events compete for a world championship so all they did all year long everybody wants to make it to las vegas at the end of the season uh, because that's when they're competing for over 10 million in prize money and they're chasing a gold buckle wow uh, the 10 time uh prsa bullfight of the year that's an award that's kind of voted on by your peers and the association on, you know, more or less of your performance throughout the year. And, um, you know, obviously your personality, your athletic ability, a lot of stuff uh, plays in the hand on that. And it's uh, just a blessing to be a part of uh, one or the other. And and it's overwhelming to be a part of both of them. Do they, so you get invited to these, both of these events? Uh, so the, the 10 time, the, the bullfight of the year, it's, it's an award that's just voted on. So yes, okay. we make the top five nominees list at the end of the year. We do kind of like an awards banquet, just like you, you would see in like CMAs or any other sporting event where they, um, you know, showcase athletes. Um, and then, so that's the like the Heisman. That's like the Heisman. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Like that. And then, uh, the Wrangler Anifar, yes. At the end of the season, um, the top 20 bull riders in the world, the end of September vote, uh, in a pool of probably I'd say 80 to a hundred eligible bullfighters. 
Um, and then they, they cut down that to the top five vote getters. And then the following week, they'll vote uh, the top three out of those. And so you're, yeah, you're selected and hired by the guys that are actually uh, going to be riding. And so it's, it's a pretty good honor and it's a prestigious honor that knowing the best guys in the world have picked your name to keep them the, the safest possible for them to have a chance at a world championship. Yeah. Th- there's no greater compliment, right? Yeah, no, for sure. It's uh it's very humbling. You know, it's something you, you work. It's just, you know, if we're going to refer back to CrossFit a bit today too, is, you know, you work so hard for something and, you know, the, the difference between it is, is it's kind of out of my grasp at the end of the season. It's, you know, it's not that I worked so many performances or I saved so many guys. It's, it's what they saw of me inside that arena and what they think that I'm capable of. So, uh, my chances of going to the NFR um, is in their hands, but that's where I strive for, for for perfection even more because of that factor of, you know what, I'm not going to take any day for granted. I want to work on being consistent and work on pursuing excellence each and every day. So when you go, when you show up to these events, um, you're just the help. But are yeah. people starting to cheer for you? Like when they say, when they, when they say, and, and we have, what's it, we have Dusty and, and Cody as the bullfighters today. Does the crowd like start going nuts now when they see you? Uh, a little bit. The, the sport of bullfighting is really kind of, obviously uh, any type of social media um, publicity that anything really gets, it, it definitely gets some hype. And, and there's a lot, there's been a lot more attention drawn to bullfighting. Um, and what we do as a team out there, and, and uh, you mentioned Cody, uh, Cody Webster, you know, he's one of my best friends and um, we just got to jam together. Like we can, I don't know, there's a chemistry there that it's kind of unheard of, but uh, um, yeah, that, you know, you got fans that, you know, you'd be signing autographs one day or whatever. And they they uh, say they get caught watching us more than the bull riding. And, and that's cool. You know, at the end of the day, we're kind of unsung heroes. Um, it's kind of an old saying, um, which I'm not a spotlight guy. Um, you know, yes, I, I'm thankful for where I'm at, what I've got to do in my life. But uh, at the end of the day, I've got a job to do, and that's my main objective. And, and uh, you know, I need to go take care of that business uh, and be consistent day in and day out. It's a, it's a trippy sport, both the bullfight. I mean, it's, there's two sports going on at once now, I guess. M- maybe that's what's uh, unique about it. There's the rider, and then there's the bullfighter. Um but like auto racing, I guess all sports are kind of like this. They're not all a chunk of them. People want to see you get like tossed. People want to see a car crash. I mean, I guess no one wants to see you get hurt, but like, yeah. like people want to see like the bull throw you and you do a flip and land on your feet. Right. Yes. Yeah, so some do, you know, and there's the oohs and ahs of the sport. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, standing on a street corner, waiting for wreck to happen and jumping in, <laughs> you know, nobody wants to, <laughs> Everybody wants to see a wreck, but everybody wants to see you come out of the wreck. You know, right. that makes sense. And, um, and they don't want to miss it. You know, like I said, if there's a wreck, they, they, they don't want to be at the concession stand and, and miss it, even though they might not want to see it. So it's, right. a, it's a game of inches, really. Um, it's the sport that's unpredictable. Anything can and could happen. And uh, I think that's what keeps the excitement to an all-time high, and especially when you talk about the the – the Super Bowl or rodeo at, at Las Vegas, the atmosphere in the Thomas and Mac with the crowd. It, I would say it's a, similar to uh, Madison, uh, you know, at the, uh, you know, when they're doing an event at night, 
you know, and they bring out the, the rigs and the barbells. And, and I mean, it's just that there's something about that, that arena floor at, at the Thomas and Mac for 10 nights, the competition level is just out of the roof. It's just, uh, you know, if you can't get excited there, your wood's wet. Did you say your wood's wet? Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you getting better at it? As I was trying to, I'm, I'm watching it and I'm like, wow, sometimes he stays close to the bull. So I'm, I'm assuming so that way it can't like you have, you actually have your hand on his head and like you guys are like running together. Sometimes you're running away. Sometimes you're putting moves on him. Like, are you getting better? Do you know what to do net more now than you did 10 years ago? Is it like light and day? You're like, oh my God, I can't believe I used to go left here. Now I'd go right. Oh yeah. I think, uh, shoot, honestly, I think that's anything in life. You know, if you if you're not consistently learning, consistently trying to get better, then you know, kind of what are you doing there? You know, you're you're kind of being mediocre. But uh, so yeah, I've learned a lot over the, the last five six years, even last year. Um, these at the end of the day, the bulls will be the ultimate teacher. They're going to show you what you can and, and can get away with. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of it's not over. It's not thinking. Um, usually, if you're thinking about it, you're usually second late. It's a lot of anticipating where that cow was going to go and then a uh, reaction. So you're kind of seeing it unfold before it actually happens. So you're putting yourself in a position. Um, so when that whistle blows or that bull rider does hit the ground, that you're just one, two steps away to where you can uh, get that bull's attention and then draw them, you know, back over. And then, you, you know, you and your partner, or, uh, the other two guys, depending on how many you're working with, can work as a team in unison to help you strike that bull and get him drawn away from that bull rider as well as kind of trying to help that bull get in and out of the arena as well. So, why, why do they call you a bullfighter? You guys don't hurt the bulls at all, right? I mean, you're—I I think I've even heard you say you're there to protect the bull and the rider. Yeah, no, that's just uh, you know because they're they're bulls, and you know we kind of got to fight to get away from them, I guess, in a sense. Um, you know, especially in the protection part. You know, we're not all bulls are mean. Um, some, you know, just really enjoy the buck and just leave the arena. But, uh, there's that, there's that factor in there that they are an unpredictable animal and they can do what they want when they want. So, uh, the tradition of the sport, you know, just, uh, in a lump sum was, you know, years ago when rodeo kind of started, it was just cowboys keeping cowboys safe. And then it kind of evolved into what they called the rodeo clown where they would fight bulls or steers at the, the start of it before the Bramer bull come into the picture and entertain the crowd well as as the sport developed even more and uh, the freestyle coming to play and just you know rodeo just become a bigger pitcher there's a lot of guys that either started uh, sticking with just the rodeo clown barrel man part and then some starting sticking with just the bullfighting part and so there's a, there's kind of that discrepancy of what do you do and i'll say i'm a bullfighter well they always think i'm a bull rider but then i have to kind of explain what i do so i'll say you know the rodeo clown oh so you're the funny guy no i'm not the rodeo clown barrel man is the funny guy but that it's kind of separated into the sport now to where our main objective is cowboy protection so um i guess that's kind of the word that stuck we'll fight her we don't ride them you know in a sense we do fight them um because not with our fists but more with our uh, athletic ability and, and t- tell me the distinction between a rodeo clown and a, and a bullfighter so the now, are you guys always out there together? Like when I see these videos of you and I see you and the, the one or two other guys, is there a clown somewhere around? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the rodeo clown, his main job or his main job is entertaining the crowd. You know, if, if there's a low spot in the van, if, if a, a bull's not wanting to load or, or horse or whatever, 
to kind of fill in that time to where you're not just sitting there kind of waiting for something to happen. So they're telling jokes, they're getting the crowd involved into it, kind of making everybody feel more more part of the show um, as well. So then in the bull ride, and they'll also have a barrel out there. We call it the clown barrel, but um, it's a barrel with uh, two open ends on it. It's built specifically for the sport. Um, there's padding in the inside. It's a uh, it's a either steel steel barrel or aluminum barrel to where these guys can pack that barrel in. It's kind of like a little island of safety, whether for us or the bull rider. Um, the bull can hit it around. The crowd enjoys seeing that. The guy comes out and does some comedy. Um, and that's the rodeo clown barrel, man. Our objective is, like I said, strictly cowboy protection. We're not out there telling jokes. We don't have a microphone. You know, we're, we're basically just in the arena during the bull riding. So that's kind of the, the difference between the two. And uh, there's some guys that do both, uh, but there's a, most of the guys, you know, do one or the other. And that video that you're putting on there is, is what we would call freestyle bullfighting to where you're, you're fighting a, a Mexican purebred fighting bull um, uh, for 60 seconds. And then you're also you're judged uh, one to twenty five um, on the bullfighter one to twenty five on the bull with two judges of possible hundred points across the board. So that's a very exciting uh, part of what we do as well um, through the uh, BFO bullfighters only events, um, and where you can also be crowned world champions. And it's just a high intense sport. <laughs> when you jump out there, is that because like you heard a timer go off? Okay, you made it the sixty seconds. So yeah, there's a lot of time. So you, there's a there's a mandatory forty second whistle. So you've got to at least be in the arena and fight your animal for forty seconds in order to have a qualified time. And then uh, between the forty second and the sixty second mark, you know it's it's kind of a you're judging your 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 uh, your finish in a sense. So I guess. Uh, Relating it in the CrossFit, uh, Frazier, I thought was always good at it uh, about you know his pacing and his timing and how how fin- strong of a finish he wanted. You know, is he going to kind of burn it out or is he going to be like, okay, I still got four days left. You know, I'm going to take a breath here and then I'm going to roll. Um, so that that last twenty seconds, we want to sell it on a high note. And, and what I mean by high note is whether you jump bull or jump them off the barrel or, or something like that. You want to basically leave the fight that you're in control. And so that fight right there that you showed, that was the bull named Spitfire, um, was a really, I, I could say, feared bull in, for a long time. Um, there was only one other guy that I knew that really got along with him all right. Um, but that was the first time I drew him. And up until that point, his track record was uh, was pretty dominant. He he wiped, uh, wiped out a lot of bullfighters, but... Um, those are the kind of bulls that I always crave to draw because those are the moments that kind of separate you from from the rest of the field. And it's kind of either a ride or die type thing, you know, and you kind of see what you're made of. So that was a pretty sentimental night, really, for me. Um, I ended up going 94 and a half points, uh, setting the world record in the BFO. And it was just, I mean, I kind of scripted it any better. It was just a blessed night. And uh, I got to draw one of the bulls that i've wanted to in a long time just to go toe-to-toe with them and uh you know thankfully we stayed on the feet and i uh, won that battle was and that was the highest score ever in recorded history for that event yeah for yeah in the bullfighters only world yeah that was uh still hold the world record there um so that's uh that's pretty cool um if they beat it i'll be happy for them but uh um until then you know i'll just keep watching <laughs> Um, what if you get drilled out there? 
Well, where's yeah, the Where's the guys to help you? Are there other bullfighters waiting to jump in? Yeah, so on the freestyle uh, side of things, yes, there is. So the, a lot of form, formats are set up in pins of three. So uh, say there's a 15-man bullfight, so there's going to be five pins of three. So that would be me competing against two other guys in that round. And the high score out of that round would advance to the short round. So you'll have at least those two other guys on the fence. It's kind of spotting you, uh, if not one or two other guys. So the guys you're competing against are also protecting you. Oh, yeah. And and that just goes back to the (laughs) camaraderie part of of the sport. You know, know, if you get down, you know, you could easily have guys on the fence and say, no, I want them down because I want to try to win. Right. But that's never the case. Those guys, I mean – are, are uh, second to none, you know, they're going to jump off and, and get that animal off me or, or me off them just so, so they can go ahead and finish a, a solid bullfight. So that's, that's what I like about the sport of rodeo and sport of the Western lifestyle is just everybody's pulling for everybody. You know, we all want to be successful, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, there can only be one winner, but uh, we, we always like to try to pull for each other. Hey, I see a movie here, like a days of thunder type movie. Like two guys who are friends, and one of the guys accuses the other guy of not jumping off the fence to help him, and got, got to have a couple girls in the mix. And yeah. I see it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, your dad did this. Mm-hmm. As a kid, did that scare you? It, it, and, and you had your first injury at five, right? It's funny. I had Sage Bergner on here the other day, and I'm like, "How how long have you been lifting weights?" And she's like, "25 years." And I'm like, "How old are you?" And she's like, "30." You know, and her dad's Mike Bergener. So obviously, you know, she's been lifting weights since she's four or five. And you have the same story going. Yeah. So I grew up into the rodeo world. Um, my dad fought bulls um, and my mom was involved in rodeo as well. And um, my parents were divorced at a young age. But, uh, you know, kind of a long story short on some of that is there was just something that about the bullfight that I was always drawn to. And, uh, you know, I started going with dad a lot in the summers an experience in that. Then I ended up moving in with dad, uh, the start of my freshman year in high school. And, uh, my first big injury, uh, was when I was in, when I was 15. And I can honestly say up until that point, um, is I started fighting bulls when I was about 12, um, which is way younger than probably 99% of the, the guys who fight bulls. There's only a couple other guys that I know that it started that around that age. But, um, uh, it, it really opened my eyes what this sport can and could do to me. And uh, it, it really put me in shock. You know, it, the first time in my life, I remember what experience and what fear is and nerves and, and trying to overcome that, that hurdle was, was tough for me. And it was through my faith in God and, and being able to go to a radio Bible camp where that really just transitioned my whole life uh, mentally and physically and started understanding a purpose and a way of life and, which allowed me to overcome those hurdles that uh, were kind of bestowed upon me at a young age and um, just kind of took and run from that. You know, it's, it's, you know, everybody's going to face adversity in their life, but it's, it's believing that uh, through those trials and tribulations that there's something better on the other side, if you're just not willing to give up. I I, I want to get to that Bible camp. I want to go back to uh, there's so many holes to fill in here. There's a story about you were four or five years old. You were injured. You broke your arm, and the doctor had to reset your arm. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That was uh, so that was I was a little older than that. Um, I can't remember. It's been a good minute ago now, but I was still living with mom, and I was actually steer riding at the time. 
And, and what uh, is that? Like you just it's on a horse that's not mean. I mean a, a cow no, that's not it, mean. Well, it's it's yeah, it's a, basically a cut bull. But uh, that's what starting out in junior ranks is instead of just getting on a bull and you're a kid, you're you're getting on, you know, sheep and then you can get on calves and you can get on steers. So you kind of work your way up the the total pole, but uh, yeah, I uh, uh, was steer riding at our hometown rodeo, and I ended up breaking my arm. And uh, so, at five years old, you were on already on a horse, but it just it just had its balls trimmed. That's supposed to be like some sort of like make nah, you feel well, better. It was, a, it, was a, <laughs> it, it was more like a, a steer is a, a cut bull. Okay. I mean? So yeah, it would be uh, he can't can't breed anymore. I guess you can say so. But he could still toss you around. Oh yeah, I mean you know they're like I said they're you know go out there and jump kick across the pen, but um, just yeah, just how I come off and landed, I broke my right arm, both both arms in my right arm, and uh, mom can tell you the story better than than I can since it's been so long ago. But I guess uh, when they had to move my arm around and set it back in or whatever they had to do, that uh, I said something along the lines of. You know, Cowboys got to be tough, you know, and <laughs> I was kind of raised, you know, that way to, I had that, you know, between my mom and my dad and my stepdad and that, we were all, we were all uh, raised to be tough, you know, raised to have self-discipline and, and raised to work hard for uh, what you want to achieve in life. And I've never been much of a guy to really be weighted on. And uh, so, yeah, that was, I guess, one of my first big injuries in the rodeo world was when I broke my arm as a kid. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I got two old, two older brothers, one four years older and then one nine years older. Do they do they mess around with this stuff? Uh, my middle brother Jesse, he did for a while. Um, he 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 rode a little bit for for a little bit through his younger younger years, but they they both kind of grew out of it. Um, they both enjoy the sport of rodeo, um, but they kind of chose different paths in life. And like I said, this is just something that. I can honestly say I, I feel that God has has put my life from from the beginning just through um, when I moved over to Dad's and, and uh, you know got hurt and was trying to get over that adversity of of that wreck and uh, it was through the rodeo Bible camp where um, I ended up coming over that but uh, yeah that's where I found my faith in God and really changed my life and my mindset and seeing the purpose that was uh, uh, been there from the start so. Um, just truly, God's truly moved and opened doors in my life for the betterment of twenty-something years in, in the rodeo world, and, and it's just, uh, it's just, yeah. I, I mean, I, I could sit here all day and talk about the uh, how how good it is, um, even in the, in the tough days. Um, but to the family that I've um, accumulated in the rodeo world, you know, I spent a lot of time on the road. Um, I spent spend the better part of. 10 and a half, 11 months on the road. Um, I'll get a week here and there at the house, but, um, so I don't get to see my mom and my brothers and that a lot, but uh, you accumulate what you call rodeo family and you see them countless times throughout the year. And and there's a lot of guys like that, that I truly consider, you know, the only thing that's keeping us from being hundred percent family's blood. Um, but uh, then my mom and, and brothers, we got to know them a lot. So it's just, the whole family's grown you know, across the board. So it's, it's just a pretty phenomenal lifestyle. Really. Are you, do you have a, are you married? No, sir. Do you have a girlfriend? Uh, not, not as of right now. No, sir. Is that, is that something that you pursue? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's highs and lows. And I guess my mentality on it's a little different than a lot of people. There's, 
people across the board that just date to date or, or, uh, um, you know, aren't very faithful. And uh, that's something that I've always prided myself on pretty big is, you know, I, not that everybody that I've dated, I'm trying to tell myself that's who I'm going to marry, but I've always had intentions of being right and being with the person for, for a long time. And, um, I said, we've, we've been in and out of some throughout the years, but, uh, there's, there's going to be one that'll put up with me for, for the time being. We just haven't found her yet. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah, I, I guess I never thought of that. I never thought to date to marriage, but I guess I guess a lot of people do. I've I've had a lot of friends who are great guys, and they'll start dating a girl, and they'll play the story out in their head like, "Oh, I can't see myself with this girl forever," so they either break up or they sabotage the relationship. But mm-hmm. I guess I always just dated for pleasure, you know, like yeah, I guess like eating, like. Girls are pretty. They smell good. They're fun to hold. Like, yeah, I, you know, I like that, for sure. Uh, uh, yeah, just um, but now, you, but but your job's crazy. I, I just it's um ten to twelve. Uh, I mean, and, and you're in your thirties. That's when you grind it. I spent ten to twelve, uh, ten to eleven months on the road in my thirties. But at some point, I guess um, yeah. Do you have a lot of girls courting you? Are you are you a uh, a popular? Are you a good catch? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm a pretty good guy. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you know, you get the, the random messages or calls or uh, ones that come up to you or whatever. But like I said, at the end of the day, I'm not. I've never been big into that part of it all. Like I said, I, I've I've lived that life in college and that. Not that I'm happy about it by no means. Um, but I've changed my ways and changed my life, and they're just bigger bigger picture of life for me, um, inside and outside the arena. And, um, at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's a way to go about things. There's a way not to go about things. So I'm just trying to, trying to do what I feel is right. When I I had, do you know who Sarah Sigmund's daughter is? She's a CrossFitter from Iceland. Yeah. I had her, I had her on the show a couple weeks ago and I was like, so what's up? Um, do you want a boyfriend? She goes, yeah. And I go, are you going to get one? She goes, well, I just don't have any, I don't, there's not a guy out there and I'm paraphrasing. I apologize, Sarah, if I'm not getting it right. But basically, there's not a guy out there who can handle the lack of attention I would give him because basically she's fo- focused on her gig, right? Oh yeah. And and I'm yeah. guessing like, I mean, you do a, you do a, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be melodramatic, but you do. You're in kind of a life or death, maybe even worse profession. It could be worse than dying for you. Like something could yeah. happen that makes it so, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, um, is that the way it kind of, it is for you too at 35 on the road, 10 or 11 months? Like it's just, it's going to be such a special fit because your focus is so elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, no, um, I, I a hundred percent understand what she's talking about. And, and there's, it takes somebody that experiences life in a sense like that of being that busy and being that focused to understand it a little bit the the few that that aren't necessarily tied into life like that that do understand it i mean they're 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 like your unicorns they're they're pretty special um and some of my best friends have you know have have found some like that but uh, the thing for me is yes we are busy yes i'm very self-driven and very focused and i've learned through the years and god's really revealed through different relationships and stuff for me is um, not that any of those relationships were a waste because I don't think they were, but he revealed certain things 
through them or through me where I can get better uh, or where I need that peace in my life. And uh, so, yes, I I understand what she says for sure, but there's also been a balance for me where, um, like I was talking to a buddy last night about working out and the, the dedication that you have to have to consistently train and work out to a high elite level um, is very mentally and you got to have some mental toughness to withstand it. And I said, you know, there's guys that I've heard that said, man, well, I drove 15 hours uh, today. I didn't have time to work out. Well, my first question to them is what'd you do with the other nine then? You know, um, well, I slept. Okay. Well, why didn't you sleep for eight hours and work out one hour? And that's the mentality that I've had. So going back to on the relationship side of things, I feel where God has showed me, where I, I can get better and I've gotten a lot better is finding that balance too is okay. I've got 24 hours a day to chase my goals and my dreams, but I've also got to find time for that other significant other in my life to where I can support uh, their goals and their dreams as well. I got to show the en- enough care, whether it's physically or whether it's verbally, um, that I'm there for them as well, even though I'm that dedicated and focused on my part. So if I'm getting seven hours of sleep, I may only get six, six or five and a half now because I'm going to dedicate, you know, that other time of making a point to be in there for them or, or watching them or, or supporting them any way possible. So there's got to be a little give and take. Um, I don't want to be a selfish person and just be so centered about myself and my goals um, because yes, that would take a very, very, very uh, special person for that person to just sit there and basically be your cheerleader and, and hug you when you can and or whatever. So there's a balance there, I think, that I've, I've really started to see and, and I've grown in areas. So uh, it's it makes it for more work. But I think at the end of the day, um, when it's the right one, it's so worth it. Yeah. Um, do you call your parents every day? Um, uh, not every day. I talk to my mom a lot. I talk to dad a little bit. Um, you know, he's still, uh, um, doing a bit of rodeo and, and traveling as well, but, uh, I stay in touch with, uh, with my mom quite a bit. Um, my brother's a little bit one, both of them work, uh, long tireless hours. So, um, I kind of wait in a sense sometimes for them to call me, but, uh, yeah, definitely try to stay in contact with my family and, uh, Nowadays, you know, with all the different social media and all the uh, rodeos on TV and events on TV or live streaming, um, they get to watch a lot of it. So they're in the know before I even get a call them after the performance. So that's kind of nice about it, too, um, to where they can stay up to date with everything and uh, know that I'm not trying to hide anything from them or anything. (laughs) I I think you're going to transcend the sport. I don't know if anyone's ever done that in rodeo. I can't think of anyone. Yeah, I, no, think, I, mean, I think you're going to transcend the sport and it's going to be so great for everyone around you. I mean, it's good. The whole sport's going to benefit from it. It's just, well, once again, it's weird that it's, it's weird that it's a bullfighter. I mean, not, not anymore. I mean, if you would have asked 10 years ago, it would have been weird. It's a bullfighter. I guess it's not weird now. I mean, all anyone has to do is watch your footage and see what you're doing. It's all, I mean, you, you really have, I mean, I've only been watching, I've been watching it kind of obsessively for like four days, but I don't even watch the writers. Yeah. I mean, so weird i mean maybe that's because i was gonna have you on the show but man what you guys are doing is nuts yeah i think the art behind it is is really starting to get exposed a little bit more for the good um 
And, and it is humbling. It, it's neat to see that, you know, people appreciate us outside the Bull Riders um, and that there's a fan base and, and uh, people really, uh, you know, uh, you know, applaud for us. And, and like I said, I've never been a guy to, you know, be the guy that needs to pat it on the back or, or be in the spotlight. That's just, I don't know, that's just something that God never put in me. But uh, definitely want to use a platform that he's given me um, to shine my light and, uh, you know, be the best version of me that I possibly can be. And, and at the end of the day, I want to be an influencer. You know, yeah. I want to show every kid out there that, you know, the only person that's going to keep you from doing something is yourself. And through my testimony in my childhood, it's not that I just, I never got anything given to me. You know, I had a lot of uh, hard things to climb over as a kid. And, you know, I was broke and, you know, basically left home on a small dollar and, you know, slowly worked my way and just had a never say never kind of attitude and, and just strive for perfection and, and, you know, each and every day work hard and, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid and thinking about working the Wrangler National Finals, you know, I just thought it was just kind of another world and another portal. And, and just looking back now, I'm like, holy cow, man, I've literally lived every little childhood dream that I could think of. And uh, now now it's in my my position where how can I give back and how can I show other uh, kids that can, you know, change the tra- trajectory of their life into a, a more positive way or, or uh allow them to see that they can chase their dreams just know that their dreams sometimes are faster than they are you know but that doesn't uh that shouldn't make you shy away from the sword and that's where i've really drawn to the sport of crossfit too is uh is the 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 work capacity and the the self-discipline and the the willingness to get better you know when you're talking about ben and and fraser and froning and and uh, Cole and uh, no, these guys just, I mean, they live it every day. And I just like, man, it just inspires me to be so much better, you know, just really digging into Froning and Fraser, you know, their work ethic is just out of this world. You know, the people don't realize how good you have to be just to make the CrossFit games. Oh, it's the hardest thing ever. I wouldn't suggest anyone do it. You could be the worst athlete at the CrossFit games and you're still one of the fittest person in the world you know it's, it's yeah. crazy to fathom that and there's you know and in, in, in my line of work like they they label me as kind of a gym junkie or a crossfit junkie and or whatever but obviously uh, it's what i've seen and to benefit me and my profession more than anything and and i do love it I'm, i've got a passion for it but you know i've done the open a couple times and everybody's like oh man did you make the games i'm like guys yes i'm a i'm in shape <laughs> and I'm, i feel like i'm a really good athlete i said but for one i'm not training for that sport specifically for some of the weight and the rx weight uh that is needed for those events i said that but for two like there's some of these guys i can't even call, hold a candlestick to now will i try oh absolutely you know i've got that hard-headed about me to where I'll, I'll black out like Matt Frazier would say, you know, if somebody's blacking out today, you know, that'd be me laying on the floor. But these guys literally train for the sport of fitness for years. It's not like they just jumped in a gym and made the CrossFit games. Like there's athletes that have trained for years and years and years and never made it through regionals. And it's just, right. it just goes to show what kind of people they are. And that's where I'm inspired by them to just work, wake up and work hard daily. Are you friends with Rich? 
No, I've never met Rich. Um, you know, I I've, can't I've, believe that you guys, you guys will, you guys will hit it off so quickly. You guys, yeah, no, it's I'd almost like talking to the same person. Yeah, I'd love to make, meet Rich. I think he's a phenomenal guy. And just, you know, the the man that he is outside of the, the competition ring, I think, is what I love more about him. Is you know, just his faith and and uh, his belief and how he lives life. But uh, the competitor that he is as well is just golly that. That guy's just, I mean, he's, uh, you know, some people say he's a freak or, or whatever, but no, I just think, man, he's just used every uh, ability that God's given him into and, and the fullest, and he's a good guy. You know, I follow him quite a bit, but like I say, I've never met him. I've uh, never met a lot of those athletes, really. I've I've been in contact with Cole Sager a little bit through some friends, and then out of the blue, uh, Castro and I, I guess, kind of become social media buddies. Um and, uh, you sent him. You sent him a hat. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. rocks that hat at the ranch. He'll be like, he he's bragged to me. He's like, yeah, Dusty Tuckness gave this to me. I'm like, all right, settle down there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I need to get him a new one, Sam. It'll. He's probably worn that one out, but yeah. So. Yeah, he he wore. I think he actually did. He wore it like every day for a year. He was so proud of that hat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, did you reach out to him? No, um, actually, it was uh, just after nineteen point five, um, and I believe it was, it was the it was a workout right up my alley. It was uh, I think it was forty bar muscle ups, uh, eighty calorie row, and like one hundred twenty wall balls or something for time. And like that's that's my jam right there because like I said it's not necessarily overly heavy weight; it's a lot of body weight. And it's just grind, like hit the ground, and go. And uh, I put up a pretty decent time and I got an email or a message from Dave Castro and I was like, no, nah, this is, this is spam. And uh, so I opened it, read it and I'm like, golly, this is pretty detailed. You know, he's it's like, hey, I, I don't know who to this day still said something to him about me, but about being a good bullfighter and whatnot, this and that. And he's like, hey, great time on 19.5. So I kind of clicked on his profile and I'm like, so again, this is him and just, Hey, appreciate it. Thanks. You know, love the sport of fitness, you know, keep, keep rocking or whatever. Long story short, we just kind of become buddies and keep in touch. And, uh, I've been trying to get him to come out some, some rodeos when he's not busy. And, uh, I told him that I'd come out to the, to the ranch and he could make me be a test dummy. And then, uh, awesome. I was actually going to go to, uh, since the COVID year of the games, um, they had limited staff, so he they didn't really need any help. But last year, him and J-Mac emailed me like, hey, we got some stuff for you. Got a spot for you if you want it. And I was like, what's the dates? And they, it was over one of my biggest rodeos in the summer. And I was like, ah, oh, dang it. I can't make it. But, man, if there's every year I can make it, I'm I'm heading to uh, Madison. So hopefully He's a huge fan one. of yours. He sent yeah. me your account and he's like, dude, this guy, you have to see, go research this guy. Yeah. You have to see his shit. And I started looking, I'm like, holy cow, yeah. it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm of him too. I'm just like, he calls it how it is. You know, he's yeah. not really trying to sugarcoat it. And uh, yeah. I like guys like that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he, he's a guy who comes from life and death situations, right? There's yeah. like, it, it, yeah, everything's matter of fact. Um, going back, uh, going back to, um, when you only have nine hours in a day, do you, or eight hours or seven hours or five hours, do you have a go-to workout that's like, oh shit, I need to be asleep in 30 minutes. What should I do? And you're in your hotel room. Um, 
it just depends. It it really depends on uh, where I'm at, uh, what performance is that night. Um, but yes, on them long overnight drives, um, if I get to the room, I'll I'll do some type of bodyweight circuit. You know, whether it's a chipper format or some type of triplet, or or I might just get on a treadmill or, or bike and go for twenty or thirty minutes. You know, just enough to get loosened up, get the blood pumping, maybe do some intervals. It really just kind of so you go to the hotel gym. You won't just in your room do a hundred burpees or air squats might, and handstand yeah, pushups. Yeah. Or? No, I may, like I said, it just depends on how I feel. Like if I, if I feel like a man, I want to get out and run, you know, I may run, but uh, you know, if I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do 150 burpees for time, you know, and uh, you know, eight minutes, nine minutes into that, you know, then you're like, okay, now I can shower, go to bed or, you know, it just, it really depends. There's not necessarily a go-to workout for me. Um, if I were to say any kind of go-tos, uh, movements that I would do a lot would be, you know, burpees, push-ups, sit-ups, and uh, double-unders would be kind of my, you know, you can kind of do them anywhere with anything. And even if you don't have a jump rope, you can modify your, your double-unders uh, in, a, in a way to make it, make it more like a double-under. So those would be my go-to movements. Um, I've learned to not love burpees over the years but i've learned that i i can actually do them and I do a lot of them um in a in a pretty good fashion do you roll with the jump rope everywhere you go yeah yeah the, so basically the few things that i take is i'll take some uh leg bands and a jump rope and then i might throw my hand grips in because pretty much everywhere i go there's very few places that i go that don't actually have a box at them anymore um but most of the places that i go um you know, whether I'm there for a month or four or five days, um, I'll just go to their box. And whether if I'm tied into programming, I'll just keep doing that. Or if I'm just, hey, what are you guys doing? I'm here for a week. You know, I may just jump into their programming for a week. And there's the only things that I really scale uh, from is anything like uh, overhead, um, you know, like overhead squats or just straight arm overhead stuff, just for one, my shoulder um, is, uh, I had surgery on it a few years back, and the, the mobility in it is not as quite as good as my right. And I have really tried to work for it, but I haven't uh, needed to train for that. So I try to stick away from some of that stuff to, from aggravating my shoulder and, uh, and uh, just focus more on sports-specific stuff for me. Because right now, I'm not trying to train for the games or – the masters or whatever it be, whether that comes down the line somewhere down my uh, path will be a different story. But uh, right now I want to just train more for sport. Um, and yes, there's heavier lift days and there's heavier days where it's not so sport specific, but definitely really try to tie in, you know, two to three days a week of more sport specific stuff. But when you're looking at functional movements, there's so many days that tie into, you know, just your everyday movements, but movements that I do in that arena so that's why i like uh, the crossfit world so much and i've and i heard you tell a story about gassing out once in the ring and once you gas out once in the ring you never want to let that happen again and it, and i watch a lot of ufc and a lot of boxing and it made me think of that i can't think of anything more terrifying than gassing out while you're in a ring with a bull that sounds like an absolute yeah. fucking nightmare yeah like uh, so but i'll t- take that back uh, that would have been in 2006 um, one of my first, uh, big, uh, freestyle bullfights, um, I, I got invited to down in Oklahoma as a two day event and my first time there, 
and uh, got through the second night good shape. Uh, was eighty, I think I was eighty nine and a half points. Won my round. The next night I drew into kind of they called E pin, which E is for eliminator, and I drew a bull they call Y me. He's a, I mean, just a big red and white bull, big horns, like pretty intimidating. He's his track record is usually he wins and the bullfighter loses. There's been very few guys to ever get around him, and um, I remember drawing him and I was excited you know there's some nerves but there I was pretty excited um and I called for this bull and I mean like long story short of it I just remember just running and just you know cutting left cutting right like you know he never got me hooked down or anything but I remember I was making it around him and my legs gave out right in front of him and just thankfully that that he let me live more or less. Like he just went on by me, didn't hook me, run me over anything. And I finished the match and everything. And I just remember walking out of the ring that night as uh, never again will that happen. I, I never again want that to happen. That's on me. And I should never let that happen. And that's, I think that's where it really started clicking for me. You were 20 the then. That was, you were, that was a 20 year old Dusty. Yeah, it was probably well, I was a little younger than that. I think I was okay. eighteen or nineteen. But yeah, um, and I, well, part of that was you know adrenaline, and that obviously you know getting really hyped up and kind of making my legs lose. But it just hit me at a young age that you know that's on me, and and that 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 there's not there's no reason for that. And I just from that point on, I really just I didn't know what a lot of fitness was, uh, I, and even I'll back up. Uh, a little bit before that, um, just maybe just before that was, you know, I went from high school to college and, you know, I, I was in high school about 165, 170. And my first year, you know, I put on the old freshman 15 or whatever. I jumped to 198 and I, I was like, what am I doing with my life? And so how, how tall are you? Uh, about five ten, five eleven. Okay. And it was just, it wasn't muscle by no means either. You know, if, if you got a muscle frame at one one ninety, you're doing fine at five ten. But I didn't know. I was like, man, I can't do this. So I didn't know anything about nutrition or really about fitness. So I just I remember I'd get on the treadmill for an hour, hour and a half, and just run. And then I basically eat nothing but crackers and drink Gatorade. And over the years, started to develop learning more about fitness, learn more about nutrition, and then that happened in the arena in Ada, Oklahoma. I told myself never happen that that's never going to happen again. That's on me. And then slowly started talking to other guys that fought bulls for a long time. What they do, what was their training regimen? And then slowly started looking at the more fitness uh, side of things and nutrition. And uh, so I did a lot of different things, um, anything from insanities to P90Xs to just going to the gym. And I remember maybe it was in 2010, Ish. I had a buddy, I remember him say something about CrossFit and that it was an intense workout, but he loved it, but I was sore and I was like, mm, you know, kind of intrigued me. And then a few years go by and, you know, I'd hear a little bit about it. And then I would say that I kind of partook in some CrossFit workouts, no classes or anything. And, and then uh, it would have been the year of, oh shoot, I can't even remember now, but I started, I went to my first one just a couple times just to experience it. And then like an affiliate, when you say first one, you mean an affiliate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah affiliate gym. And then probably it's been three years ago now, probably or going on four, but the start of the year, 
um, I started seeing, obviously get more into CrossFit, watching it, um, watch him compete. And, and then at the start of the year, we was in Odessa, Texas. And I just started seeing a lot of gyms pop up everywhere. And so I looked and looked up across the gym in Odessa and I was like, man, there's no reason for me to be intimidated. Like I like to work hard. I'm going to go see what I'm made of. And then just instantly, I just realized what the CrossFit community was about. And from that rodeo, I started going, you know, I soon as I got to the next rodeo, I'd look up another affiliate and then another affiliate. Now everywhere I go, you know, I've been there for going on four years so I've accumulated, you know, friendships of that community. And, you know, they're, they've kind of become, some of them become more fans of rodeo. And um, and then it was two years into it when I was like, you know what, I want to I want to dive into learning the sport of, of fitness a little better. And I want to become a level one trainer. And so then I went to a course down in Texas and got my level one coaching. And it's, I haven't really got to go and, and run any classes at a whole lot of gyms. I'll help out here and there just with my crazy uh, schedule. But uh, I just, like I said, the functional training and, and just how our body's designed to move anyways, I think it's it's what it's all about, and I really enjoy it. Who who are your seminar staff? Do you remember? Uh, Jeremy was one guy. Uh, he's down in uh, – I think he's down in New Braunfels, Texas now. And then I can't remember the other – Zach maybe – and I can't remember. Zach, was it Zach Pine? Uh, shaved man. head? No, 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 okay. shaved head. No, but Jer- Jeremy and Zach, and then I can't remember. Zach Forrest was a little guy, games, old games athlete, Maybe. former Navy SEAL. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, short, stocky. Yeah, yeah, good squat, incredible air squat, like one you never forget. Yeah, like, that could be him for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And and you liked it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I loved it. Now, I like I was training for actually the NFR that year during that time. So I was in pretty good shape at the point. And so like, granted, you know, you go through your nine foundational movements and really try to find your, the flaws and correct them and everything. And then each day, you know, you kind of do a little workout, and, but it was just good. It was fun. Um, and, and really enjoyed the course. And like I said, then once I got, got my test back and, and seeing that I passed, it was even, even pretty a lot <laughs> yeah just no one and, and not so much for for coaching so many athletes but even for yeah. me understanding yes. the sport understanding nutrition understanding you know functionality <laughs> of the body and everything so uh like i said i i, I really enjoy uh, the fitness side of things and it's definitely going to be something that i'll be a part of even when i'm done um with my bullfighting career in my last uh you know from i don't know when it was maybe let's say 2016 to 2000 uh i don't know 18 19 uh, when i was running the media department over at crossfit um, inc greg glassman at that point had fully embraced the fact that the level one was the operating manual for the human being like that was it like this is what to eat and this is how to move i didn't invent any of this this was part and parcel with your dna this was invented with by god i just put words to it and uh here it is and man like i cannot emphasize and you know i used to talk about this on my show all the time i've given it a little bit of a break in the last couple of months but if you if you're a human being and you haven't taken the l1 you're really fucking i think you're fucking up and especially if you're a parent 
I mean, it's, it's yeah. like, it's like, so it's the, um, you know, I don't want to compare it to the t- t- 10 commandments, but, uh, like it, it is a, what an incredible two days to make yourself a better person. And then the culture that those people share, you think, Oh, I can do it online or I can just learn about it. But there's something those seminar staff share in the culture of cheering other people on. It's like what you said about the bull rider sitting on the fence. They, they, they want to beat you, but they're also going to be the first one to jump down and, and help you if, if something goes awry. Oh, and they share that with you there. It's a trip. Uh, that, that is, you know, it's too, you know, I almost wish it was like three or four days, you know, like yeah. you know, I got to know Jerry. I've, I still keep in touch with Jeremy um, a bit, and if I was closer to him, I'd go to his gym. But uh, um, yeah, the, the camaraderie of it—you know—just there's so many different backgrounds of athletes, uh, or not even so much athletes, just kind of your normal, uh, you know, nine to five work person that just enjoys, you know, getting up and and yep. you know, moving. But there's a lot of truth, I think, to that. And the level one is—you know—it it is a good uh, manual to just living, and it's not like it's. You, you see a lot of diet plans. You see a lot of different uh, workout programs now, and it seems like you need a scientific uh, for, uh, formula to figure it out, or it's right. this, 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 and this. Where it, it's pretty cut and dry, you know. Like you said, you know, you know your your proteins, your vegetables, you know, nuts, seeds, fruits, some starch, yep. no sugars. Like it's not hard to say, okay, no sugars, little starch, yep. some fruits yep. and seeds proteins and veggies you know and then functional movements nine foundational movements like here is how the body moves you know how many times do you squat a day everybody sits up and down in a chair you know how many times do you lift something over your head you know how many times do you uh pick something off the ground take you pick something off the ground it's just like these are just common moves that we do every day and the other thing that i i really enjoy about the crossfit world which in fitness in general yes you see people of all ages, but just what I've seen it, it do to so many um, elderly people yep. from barely yep. being able to step up onto a, a bumper plate to actually jumping up onto a 45 pound bumper plate, even though it's only three inches, but that's, that's a big accomplishment at, at, a, at an old age and, and, and just the understanding of the functionality of your body. The old saying is if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Yeah. In a sense you do, you, you lose your muscle, you use your bone mass and strength and it's good to be aware of that stuff, you know, being able to be mobile and be, be moving in full range of motions too. none of, none of your half rep stuff. You know, that's one thing that I used to think that I could do a thousand pushups until I started actually doing, them right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for, for those of you tuning in late, Dusty is the most decorated bullfighter in the history of the sport. Uh, more importantly, the world, I think, outside of bullfighting has begun to embrace him. And he's kind of changed the – not kind of. He has changed the spectacle of bullfighting. Um, maybe it's just he's in the right time and the right place. Maybe it's God's work. But uh, from what the little bit – three days of obsessing on bull riding that I, bullfighting that I've been watching, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact of how he moves, how he carries himself and uh the person he is um when you're when you moved in with your dad your freshman year was that hard did, did your parents like give you a decision like why did you move out with your of your mom's house man so my, my parents uh, divorced too and that was always kind of a they divorced when i was three and that was there was always the thought like maybe i should move in with my dad i never did but it was always like kind of a weird thing that tugged at me yeah so for me uh the the biggest deciding factor I'd say because I love both my parents for sure, but 
was just when I'd go with dad in the summer to rodeo and then I'd come back home for nine months, you know, to go to school. And I was big into sports as well. So, you know, that was part of my life as well. But I just, I just loved rodeo. I really enjoyed what it was and, and, you know, talking about it, I understand, or believing this is where God's called me to be is, is, is a hundred percent because it was a decision I made um, myself and, and it was something I had to more or less ask my mom, you know, so one of the hardest decisions I ever had to uh, make in my life turned out to be the best decision because when I made that phone call, it was so hard for me to make and asking mom if I could move in with my dad and just coming from and trying to understand from a mother's love and her side of things, it was, you know, even though it wasn't what I was meaning, but, you know, as a mother's love, it's like, man, like my son doesn't want to be with me anymore. And, uh, but it allowed me to go to that rodeo Bible camp, you know, especially after that injury that I sustained and, and it not only changed my bullfighting, but on the bigger picture, it changed my life when I gave my life to God. And it, it opened up things in my mind that I never thought were possible, um, what I'm capable of doing. And then obviously through, through high school and through college, I, I'm not going to lie. You know, I live, I live the college life, um, uh, to a certain extent those years, but then through that, through the, those hardships in college, you know, God put the right people in my life and, and some of the best friends that are still my best friends today. And as I started rodeo and started pursuing, uh, rodeo as a full-time career, I really just seen God opening doors in my life, but it wasn't, I, I tell people a lot when I'm telling my full testimony is one of the the hardest things I ever do, had to do in my life turned into the best thing because years later, um, you know, the stepdad that, that helped raise me and my brothers uh, for the majority of our life and mom, they ended up uh, getting a divorce too. And there's, we never saw it come. There's no rhyme or reason to it. And it, it affected and hurt us all. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't really have the words for mom other than I just kept telling her that I'm praying and trusting God's plan through it all and that he's got a plan through it. And I remember giving her a book that year just after uh, they uh, divorced that, uh, like I said, I said, mom, I don't know why I'm doing this or what. I just felt led to give you this. And, uh, you know, days after that, I remember her calling me and telling me that, man, you know, son, I'm reading my life in this book. What was the book? It was called, it was Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Um, That's the title of it, Jesus Calling? Yeah, yeah. It's basically daily devotional. Um, And uh, through that, my mom uh, uh, received uh, Jesus into her life and and changed some things in her life. And then they've got... So before then, your mom wasn't a a church-going woman? She wasn't a... She was a believer for sure, you know, but there's a difference between a believer and a, and a, and a doer, you know, it's just like, you know, in, in, in rodeo or in CrossFit, you know, you could like it, but it's a whole different game once you actually start living it. And, and so, yeah, she changed her, her ways and her life and, and uh, her and her friends, you know, they've all changed and they've been doing Bible studies and, you know, they've got their kind of their regimen that they're going about now. So as I look back on my life over the 15, 16 years, you know, God had a plan through it all that I never even got to see at the start of it. But I just realized that that phone call being one of the hardest things I had to do in my life turned into being one of the best things. Not only did I change my life, but it changed my mom's life as well and trickled down into my family. So 
if anybody's listening, there's always a bigger picture than what we can see then. You know, we don't need to get so narrow-minded and focus on on some of the things that seem big but don't make them any bigger than they are and just truly trust in the process, maximize your time, and and, and see it through because on the other side of, of the, the rapids, there's clear water. Um, but where did your dad live and where did your mom live? What states? Did they live in the same state? Uh, so my mom lives in Idaho, still lives in Idaho, and that's where I was born and raised. And then my dad, he lives in Wyoming, uh, by Cody, Wyoming, um, in the northwest uh, corner. So it's your, you're at your dad's house, you're 15 years old, and you're like, shit, I want to stay with my dad because I want to pursue this rodeo thing. And basically you call her, and it just turns into a cry fest, I'm guessing. You're crying, she's crying. Uh, no, it wasn't no. like that, really. It was kind of something throughout the summer. I kind of hinted, started hinting to dad, like, hey, maybe I can live with you. And honestly, you know, I, I kind of thought, you know, being a young kid, my dad would call and you know, make it all work out and I wouldn't even have to talk, but you know, dad, he made me make the call and, and yeah, uh, no, like I said, uh, we got off the phone and, uh, our mom, mom said that, you know, that we're going to talk it over and, and think about it for a bit. And, uh, they called back and, uh, you know, she said that she was going to respect my decision and, and, uh, and you know, she's okay with it. And like I said, it wasn't no big sobby, crazy, sob session or nothing like that but it was just it, it was tough for me you know it was because hell it was, yeah it was you know you love your mom you you you, there, you got a relationship there but there was just something there that i guess in a sense if i look back on it i feel that maybe i was uh, pretty obedient not just for the passion that i had for rodeo but just seeing where god's led me through it all and, and into my family and, and so on and so forth so it uh yeah, it's crazy just looking back on it, but dang, dang, I actually did that, and this is what's come from it. So, um, do you know this term equanimity? Equanimity? No. It it, it means the quality of being calm and even tempered, composure, evenness of mind or temper, calmness or firmness, especially under conditions adapted to excite great emotion, a state of resistance to elation, depression, anger, etc. Like just like. Poof. Dang. you know yeah it's like it, it's it's you out there uh with the bulls yeah that's a good description yeah it is it's, it's something you had to deal with at 15 you had to figure out how to to to, to find that yeah uh, you know mm-hmm. um how come you didn't find jesus the first time you went to bible camp and and how does someone uh, and what can you tell me what happened the second time that made it different well actually what, that was my first time to the camp uh, Oh, I thought you. I thought I heard that you went once before just because you wanted to go bull riding, and no, then the so second. It was, okay, it was the same. It was the same school. So basically, the the biggest reason why I was led more or less to go. I mean, obviously, God's God had a plan through it, but it was a rodeo Bible camp, and uh, you know, it was after my wreck that I that I got into when I was fifteen, and I I was like, you know what, this camp close to home. I, I definitely want to go there and try to try to get my bullfighting right, get it, get it back, figured out, get over this, this fear that I have. And it was through those three days that I realized that I was going to something more than just a rodeo camp. It was, it was a, a, a spirit led driven Bible camp that just allowed me to fight bulls. So it was all in the one, one same camp, but my intentions of going in was just to get better in bullfighting. Um, but when I left there, I realized it was a bigger picture that, uh, and why, why I was there. It was it was it a flash when you when you say you realized it was like a like a, a one second like oh shit aha uh-huh. 
No, it wasn't. It was, uh, you know, at, at the Bob camp, you know, with three days. I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're up in the mornings. You do, they, they do a little church serve. Not, not much. More like a little Bible study. And then uh, you have breakfast. And then you go to the arena. And then you go to your designated area of whether you're trying to learn how to ride bulls or ride horses or whatever it is. And, and then you break and you come back for lunch. And then you kind of have another little, you know, somebody speak or share a little word. And, you know, that first day and a half, it was kind of like, oh, you know, okay, cool, that's neat. But it, what, I was just so focused on fighting bulls. And, uh, and obviously nerves and everything's kind of high, you know, because I'm still trying to overcome this fear factor. And the, the, the impactful night, uh, there's a, one of my, my pastors that I still consider one of my best friends, Tim Stewart. Uh, you know, he brought the heat, I can say. He, he preached that night, and it, it was just something that you can't even explain. It's a, it's a feeling um, that that just overcome that whole camp, that whole tent that we were in, and I just uh, my, my heart was touched by God and just confessed and, and asked and received Him into my life, and it was just instantly like I just started seeing changes in my life. Um, you know, one of the biggest changes that I, I realized in my life is, uh, and a lot of my friends and that don't, don't believe any of these stories. Um, he said, they know me to be just a pretty, I guess, a pretty decent uh, human being, but I used to cuss like a sailor and it was, I had a bad mouth on me and it was like a transition overnight that just snapped out of me. And I, the only explanation I can have for that is a change from God, because it takes time to, to, develop in or out of things you know unless it's just supernatural like that and that was just one thing that that kind of left me that quick and then it just there's just so many different things that I've seen a move in my life and in my mom's life and in my other family and friends life and just there's just a bigger picture to life than a lot of people think and, and and did it did it cause you to so that one you're saying kind of came naturally I was going to ask you what kind of things did you change like like maybe you stole a pack of gum every time you went into this one store and you stopped doing that. Maybe you stopped saying yeah. the F word, but you're saying the swearing thing just came naturally. Like you weren't even like, okay, like I need to watch my mouth. No, it, like you said, it was crazy. I, I, it's been so long now. I can't really remember my thought process on it, but I just remember like a week into it or maybe 10 days or something like that. And I was just like, wait a minute, something's different. And, uh, and it just kind of dawned on me, like, holy cow, like, that was just really t- taken away from me, um, you know, and it wasn't nothing that I, like, woke up the next day and was like, okay, I'm going to start working on this. Out now, Brown County. Out now, Brown You know, it was just something. <laughs> what was missing that used to be there? And it, it took me a few days to realize that. And, and the, like, and then the mental side of it, which, any, there's, you know, life is just mental uh, got a big mental game to it anyways. And it's just how you can diagnose and process it is different. And the word tells us that we were made to be more than conquerors and that he's got a in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says that he's got a plan for hope and a future for us, you know, to prosper us, not let's fail. So once you start understanding the purpose and, and, and that, that you a purpose driven life, you can really control your mental thinking, you know, because the fear factor is, is not of God. It's a, it's of the devil. And, when you can control that and, and like right now, you know, I'm, I'm battling an injury from the finals and uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie. There's going to be tough days. There's, I've already had days that I'm just, just ready for the next day. But, you know, through this, I, I, I know God's going to do something through it, whether it's for my benefit or somebody else's, but 
you know, it's, it's up to me to be able to walk through this, this adversity, adversity and, and see what's on the other side, because there's been so many times that God's already, uh, uh, prevailed through the negativity in my life. And I've seen the good on the other side that I'm almost getting excited in my life. Now when things don't go quite right or something goes bad, because uh, I know God's got something in store for me on the other side. So this is just a minor bump. And, and I think even in your healing process in your body, it's so mental. You know, if you got a negative mindset when you're battling injuries or battling whatever it is, it's going to be a lot harder to get over it or a lot harder to heal. But I think if you can have a positive and a sharp mind through it all and continue to work hard every day, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of starting to get back in the gym for my upper body and I'm so excited about it. You know, it's just been such a big part of my life is fitness. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited for the movement that I'm getting back in my foot, the bending that I'm getting in my knee, but just little victories, just the domino effect, I guess is what I call it is. Yeah. I can't wait till I'm back and um, both feet in the ground in the arena and, and, fight bulls and, and going to the next rodeo, you know, 24 seven. But right now I'm excited about my little victories about being able to lift my leg up and put it on a chair without supporting it to being able to straighten my leg out and stuff like that. So you got to stair step your goals and, and, and uh, look at the little victories in, in each and every day, because that's going to keep you motivated. Is that camp that you went to still around? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, what's it uh, called? It's a, uh, Gosh, dang. Becoming Champions Rodeo Camp in Matitsi, Wyoming. Becoming Champions. Um, is it, speaking of God's plan, how, how is it that um, people's – how is it that the dude's hand gets uh, stuck in the rope when he's on the bull? That shit looks horrible, uh, speaking of swearing. Um, the guy's on the bull. His He's off the bull, but his hand's still on the back, and you're – I see you, like, reaching up there, like, fiddling around as the bull's going crazy. Are you trying to release the dude's hand? Can you explain that whole thing to me? That that part of the sport seems the most insane, when the guy's – his hand is strapped to the top. Yeah, uh, so that's called a, a, a hang-up. So basically they roll over uh, their hand, and it – kind of pushes up against the block of the rope. Um, and uh, and if I had a rope, I could show you what the block is. But basically, it's a hard uh, piece of leather that's that's stopping their hand. And when they roll over, it kind of just keeps their hand shut. So some sometimes you're in and out. It's pretty quick. But you're kind of anticipating and reading of the situation at hand. Um, um, you ever ride one of those bikes with clip-ons where your feet clip in? Yeah. Yeah, is it is, like is it like that? And you come to a stoplight and you forget to take your feet out and you fall over. I mean, I just when I see that happen, I'm like, how does that happen in rodeo? That's got. Is that the worst thing that can happen to you? Uh, yeah, no. Like I said, there's sometimes that yes, it's very, very uh, hairy situation. Um, but there's other times that it's pretty quick and easy. I'd say the the, the some of the worst situations are is when they get bucked off and their spur or their boot kind of runs through the tail of their rope. Um, and then they're getting drug around. They're usually underneath them. And then that's when it's tough is that rope's still tied onto the bull. But now they're underneath the animal, bellied up usually. Those, those situations are the tough ones because that's when you're more exposed. And that's when those feet have a better chance of uh, stepping on. Yeah, that'd be the block, block of the rope right there. So, um, But sometimes, like I said, hang-ups sometimes are pretty gnarly and pretty wild. And then other times, you know, you're in and out. And it's you don't even really notice them at times it just all depends on the situation and and uh what that bull allows you to do and what what he allows you not to do 
And, and I see you up there like fooling around, like trying. Is that is, am, I, am I seeing that correctly? Like you you have your hand up there and you're trying to like get the guy's hand free as the bull's bucking around. Yeah, so the, that's our main. Yeah, so what we do is, so you see the the loose part of the tail, the rope, which we call the tail. Um, you want to pull against the uh, the side that the guy's off. So if he's off on the right side, you want to be on the opposite side of the bull rider. For one, you're not tripping over him, but for two, you can pull again against the direction of that bull rider, and that should free and pop his hand loose. Um, is, is the objective there? A lot of times, you'll see us sometimes get underneath his arm with one of our arms to help secure and lock us in there. And then we go to pulling that tail. Um, and once that, once that hands released, he pops off, we step out, you know, kind of staying low. So you don't, uh, you kind of stay clear of them feet and then you're, you're still at work, you know, that bull may uh, turn back and want to want to hook somebody or he may just buck on and be gone, but you just got to, once your feet hit the ground, you're just being, uh, ready to, uh, react in whatever situation um you can't push those bulls right I, sorry i know no, that's probably a stupid question uh, uh but, like but you can get you anywhere because like i said they're they're big big critters <laughs> yeah so you, you can't like charge them or bump them or push them there's none of that no not really like i said the biggest thing for animals is you know they're colorblind so they go off react or, or movement a lot and so the, the looser clothing um, that, you know, you see us putting our hands on the bull, um, getting that bull head up. So they go to touch and feel too. So a lot of times you see us put our hands on them. Thanks, Bug. Um, yeah, on their face. I see you do that a lot. Guide them with your hands on his head. Yeah. Yeah. So like when you put that pressure on their head, you know, they, they feel that. So they're initially going to come up with their head. And so when they come up with their head, you know, now their eyes are up. They're more focused on you to where they're going to more or less have a better chance of going with where you want to take them instead of going after that bull rider. So um, a lot of times where you, when you see us putting our hands on them, it's getting their head up, getting their eyes on us. There's a, in that 2013 promo video, there's a white bull charging right at you and you're charging right at it. And at the last minute you jump over him. Yeah. Um, how do you do that for the very the first time like what when the are, are do you, you and, and i'm assuming you can't force that i'm assuming you want to do that for the crowd but you can't force that you just kind of have to hope it happened i mean it just it seems nuts yeah so a lot of times when you see us jumping a bull is is uh going back to one of them freestyle competitions that's another way to impress your judges gain points um and showcase your athleticism as well. So, and there's other times, obviously, I've jumped bulls for no rhyme or reason or, or no benefit of it other than just doing it to do it and, you know, thrilling the crowd. So, um, yeah, it's, it's. Do you remember the first time you did it? How did, how, do you remember the first time you jumped over one? Yeah, I remember the very first time I jumped on it was uh, in Cody, Wyoming. And uh, it was a, uh, the bull was a white bull, and the brand number was 111. And, I just remember he was a mean bull and, and that was a, I just had it on my mind. I was jumping him that night and took off. And, uh, after I, after he bucked the guy off and he wheeled around that arena, I took off after him. And when he saw me and ran at me, I just jumped and everything went really good the first time. Not, not all the time it works, but when it works, it's, it's good for both me and the fans. 
Yeah, I've seen you jump them, and then while you're in midair, they they kind of like hit you with their ass, and you fly another couple feet even higher. It looks crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. There's been times when they clip your feet, or you don't get your legs up, you know, enough, or you know, you don't jump far enough. And yeah, there's times it works, and times it doesn't. But uh, that's that's all part about risking risking it for sure. Your junior year, you won um, you won the high jump and the triple jump in high school. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, did you train hard for that? How did, how did you become such a great jumper? Uh, yeah. Can you dunk? I, Can you uh, dunk? Yeah, I could. And, uh, you know, going back to my freshman year, I remember I didn't have much of a vertical, you know, I could barely more or less barely touch the net and I hated it, man. I, I wanted to jump. I wanted to dunk. I wanted to have a big vertical. And back then, I don't know if you remember them, but they were called the jump shoes. I um, do remember those. Yeah. So I, I got online and I ordered a pair and, and I got on the jump shoe program for whatever it was, you know, eight weeks, 12 week program or whatever it was. And I did it. And lo and behold, through the program, it put about 10, 11 inches on my vertical. And, you know, from that point I could jump and I could dunk and, and, uh, you know, I was, I went out for track a couple of years, but I wasn't big on the running. Um, I was more big on the jumping events. So I did long triple and, and high and high jump was my favorite. Um, the highest height I jumped was uh, six two, uh, and then high school, you know, I was five nine. So I thought that was a pretty good feat for me. Um, you do that with like the Fosbury flop? Is that that high jump? Like you go on your back? Yeah, yeah, the old back. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was my I guess favorite event. And then obviously long and, and triple, you know, I enjoyed as well. But I just I love to jump at a young age and. And uh, it kind of rolled into some benefits of in my bullfighting career as well. And then you did a backflip over that bull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I always give my buddy Andy Braille credit for it. Um, in 2004, I was at a, another camp and was watching video, and I saw him do it. Uh, I believe he was probably one of the first guys to ever do it in American freestyle bullfighting. And I just remember sitting there watching it that day, and I was like, man, if he can do it, I think I can do it. And, that was just the mentality I had on it. And I, I tried it over Little Bull uh, a few years after that just to see what I could do. And then from there, I started doing it a little bit more and did it a little bit more. And it, you know, all, all kind of work, worked out for me for the best. There was only a couple that didn't work out too good. But it's a risky move. It's, it's pretty ballsy, I'll just say that. But it was, it was cool to do it a couple times in my career for sure. <laughs> God. I like the way you said, if he could do it, you think you could do it. All kidding aside, that's how I ended up with kids. My wife was like, oh, if, if that couple can do it, we can do it. And now, now I have three kids. Yeah. Um, you use the term co- um, contractors. So there's, there's an interview you're having and you're basically talking about um, – what the contractors want you to do with the bulls. Can you explain that to me? I, I, are all those bulls out there owned by different people? What, what What's yeah, going on so, out there? Yeah, so the contractor is a guy who owns the livestock that's produced okay. uh, at the rodeo. So all the horses, the bulls. Um, and the, so there's certain contractors that, that like certain things. You know, certain, certain contractors like you to kind of maybe turn their bulls back or fight their bull a little bit or – you know, certain contractors, you know, could care less to have a bullfighter in the arena uh, for the most part. But, 
you just kind of got to learn. What do you mean? Why wouldn't they want you in there? Like they don't want you even interacting with their bull at all. They think it, it makes the bull less mean or something. No, it just, you know, different personalities, you know, a lot of times, you know, they think, you know, we try to showcase and fight the bull too much or they don't want to cripple their animal and that. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm a professional at what I do. This is what I've done for a living and professionally since 2006. So I've got a pretty good grasp on what I, what I can and what I can't do and, and how to help the bull out as well too. So, um, uh, but yeah, there's, you know, certain, certain contractors too, this, you know, you just kind of got to know, know your guys, know your groups in a sense, which like I said, the, the, the fundamentals and the foundation of each and every situation are pretty, pretty much the same. But like I said, you know, the guys, sometimes they do want you to not only save the guy, but go ahead and go run out there and make a couple rounds at the bull before he leaves the arena, just kind of the entertainment factor for the crowd. And, uh, depending on the rodeo as well, it just depends on where you're at. So you just gotta, gotta know where you're at and what you're doing and, uh, you know, be ready to to do whatever. What, why is the bull um, doing that, bucking around, and why do they stop? Do they gas out? But why do they even start in the first place? They just don't want a dude on their back. No, well, yeah, yeah in a sense, but they're bred. They're bred for this. You know, they're they're uh, born to buck pro- program both the horses and bulls. So it's no different than you know, uh, uh, you know, like a, going back to the the Mexican fighting bull. You know, the the Spaniard blood of the the fighting bulls. You know, those bulls are naturally mean. You know, that was just how what they're bred for is to fight. And, you know, the bucking bull is no different. You know, these animal athletes, you know, they're some of the most gentle giants out there. Some of them are, you know, you can go in the pen and scratch them and, you know, lay on them. And, you know, they, you know, they, they get taken care of, you know, just as good as, if not better than anybody, you know, they, they've got some of the best feed in the world, um, you know, best housing in the world. You know, some of these animals are worth, hundreds of thousands of dollars you know so if if you got something invested you know over a hundred thousand in you're not just gonna throw it to the yeah. wind you're gonna take care of it and uh, so these contractors you know uh these are their pride and joy you know they they eat and they get warm and they get taken care of before they ever go back in the house and cook their own breakfast so that's one thing that a lot of people don't know in the sport of of how well these animal athletes are treated um how how do this do the do the guys all ride the same bull like how how do they choose the winner is it just luck of the draw you may get like the hardest bull that's there and the and the guy who wins yeah. might get the easiest bull that's there or is, am i just splicing hairs is that just crybaby talk no so it's a random draw so i mean yeah sometimes you, you draw the better bull sometimes you draw the weaker bull you know or the weaker weaker horse so that's part of the game you know that's part of the atmosphere of rodeo is you know you would definitely want to go and pay your fees and you want to pay to uh, uh, play to win but sometimes you know it's out of your your reach but you know when in the judging event you know as long as you're you there mark you higher than your animal then you did all you could do now if you're getting marked lower than your animal then you know that's on you a little bit from what, what does that mean marked lower than your animal what do you mean so going back to the judging system, you know, there's there's two judges, one to twenty five for the the rider, one to twenty five for the animal on how well it's oh. how well. So you know, if if your bull's marked to twenty two and you're marked marked to twenty, well, you know, you left some points on the table, so you 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 can't really be mad at anybody other than yourself. Now, if you're if they marked the bull in eighteen and marked you at twenty two and a half, and you absolutely did everything you possibly could. 
you know, so sometimes it's the luck of the draw, you know, you hear that saying a lot and, but you got to capitalize when, when you do get the right ones too. And you got to be consistent that, uh, you know, getting qualified rides and scores as well. So as a judge, the bull goes, they open that pen, the bull comes running out there and the bull does a performance. And then the guy on his back does a performance. And I, and I judge both, I give points to both of them on a one to 25 scale. Yeah. Each yeah, time. So one, yeah. One oh, judge, shit. Yeah. Judging one to 25 on the bull and one to 25 on the rider and the same with the other judge. So possible of 50 points per uh, rider and animal with a total of a hundred points. So yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it's a judge. Has anyone ever given a 50? Yeah, there's been guys that have been given 50s, you know, whether it's the bull or whether it's the rider. So um, it's there's one of the most historic rides ever in the PBR this uh, last year at the PBR World Finals. Uh, Jose Vito Lame was, uh, I believe he was 98 and three quarters, um, which is phenomenal. It was just a historic ride. Uh, just It's pretty awesome to watch. Yeah, I ended up on that guy that um, on that guy's Instagram. Did you and you saw that ride live? Yeah, yeah. And could you tell right away as you watch it as an expert? Or are you like, wow, this is nuts? Well, yeah, when you when you place the bull like Jose or the bull like Wu Paul and Jose Vito, like Jose, he's man, that guy is. I mean, he works hard. He he's he's earned everything that he's achieved. Like he's just he he's he's kind of a league of his own, really. I mean, that guy is so mentally and physically sound. It's just it's amazing and awesome to watch. And uh, uh, animals like that, as well as athletes like that, perform. So, so they open the pen, and the guy has uh, the guy's trying to stay on there for how long? Eight seconds. Eight seconds. And then, when he hears a sound, he knows he made the eight seconds, and then he dismounts, or does he ever just ride it until the bull gets tired? Or that's not no, possible. No, no, you kind of, you know, over time, you kind of get a mental clock in your mind. But you know, obviously, you'll hear the the buzzer green. Um, and then, you know, you find yourself a good uh, place to dismount and you try to get in, get out of there in good shape. And then, uh, but no, yeah, you don't guys just don't stay on until they can't stay on anymore. And, and then, and then I noticed then after a while, the bull kind of chills out. Is that because he gassed out? And then I'm always surprised at how they run back into the pen. I'm like, if I was that bull, I would just stay out there and just like fuck shit up. Yeah, no, like I said, you know, they're, they're bred for it. You know, this is what they do. And, you know, a lot of times that, you know, when that bull rider's off their back, they know that, you know, work's done. And sometimes yeah. they'll take a little victory lap. And then, but a lot of times they like going back to the back pin, you know, because that's where the feed and water is. And that's where they can chill and relax and, you know, kind of lay up for the, the remainder part of the day. So, you know, they're, they're cool. They're cool animals. You know, they all got their own personalities, but they're, they're, they're neat animals. Why, why didn't you become a bull rider and why did you become a bull fighter? Like, doesn't it seem like the rider would be, would have been the way to go? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on who you ask. You know, I think the biggest thing for me was, you know, seeing what dad did at a young age, fight bulls. And I rode bulls a little bit, but it just never intrigued me as much as uh, being out in front of them and being that kind of line of defense for, for another person and, and the, this, the unselfishness that it kind of, uh proclaims is just i don't know it's just something like i said going back to where god's called me to be all along i truly feel and uh, you know i look back and i shoot this i want to trade it for anything um can we look at your ride where you got injured do you care does that bother you uh which one from this last one, year 
Couple the, weeks yeah, ago. the one that just happened like a couple oh, weeks yeah, ago. Oh yeah, no, bothered me. Okay, and and we because I watched it a bunch of times and I can't figure out what happened. Could you tell us what happened? Yeah. So basically, um, one break. Hold on uh, one second. I'm gonna um, I'm going to bring it up here on the screen. Will, I got it. Thanks, dude. By the way, you're you've been killing it. Okay, here we. Is I think this is it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure is. And, and this guy's riding injured already. He has broken ribs, right? Yeah, Braden, he's already got some broken ribs. So, you know, he's not going to, you know, once he hits the ground, he's going to be pretty slow moving. And this is really just the deal where where he landed, and uh, I just tried to get him positioned between him and the bull. And when I did, you know, I talked about the game of inches when that bull come around and went to swipe at me and hook me. You know, his his leg came down on my leg and just – his weight overpowered my leg and just broke my leg. And, you know, that was something that you don't, don't like to be a part of or, or see, but, you know, it goes back to, you know, you got to take the good days, the bad days with this, this uh, job. And that was one of the, one of the bad days. So that's you right there getting on the left side with the black hat on. Yeah. And I don't see the bull ever touch you. To, to me, what it looks like is is that that guy was on your leg. The the rider was on your leg. No, no, that bull's front left foot stepped right on the side of my leg. And, uh, and did you know right away it was broken? Yeah, yeah, no, I felt it and heard it. And when I looked down and my leg was kind of flopped over there, I knew I just needed to just inch, inch back a couple steps and wait for the the sports medicine team, just sports medicine team to come out and give me a hand. And the rider knows too. He comes over and checks on you, Braden. Yeah. At this point, uh, Braden, he sees it. John Harrison, who's in the barrel, he sees it. And then, uh, obviously the other two bullfighters realize it, but you know, their, their biggest job right then is make sure to get that bull out of the arena. And then once that bull is clear out of the arena, then they, you know, obviously come over and checked on me and, not a lot anybody can do with that situation other than just you know, keep the faith and keep believing and, and praying. And then, uh, you know, the Justice Sports Medicine Program, which is a sports medicine team that travels around. The majority of our big rodeos, you know, our Dr. Tank Freeman's on hand. They come out and assist me out of the arena. And, uh, you know, we we got it fixed up now. And, and uh, it's we're going on day 17 and 18, and it's starting to feel, feel pretty dang good. So we're just little more, a uh, few more weeks, no weight-bearing stuff, and then we can start getting back into some weight-bearing stuff and and uh, get, get more active and get back to the arena before too long. Um, so so are you in, there's a still frame here. Are you doing everything perfect here? I mean, he hasn't even hit the ground completely, and you're already getting in between him and the bull. Yeah, yeah, that's our objective right there. Is you, you know, there's three guys working there, so it's – the, the three-man rotation, it's kind of a triangle form. You know, you've got one guy on the bottom, Nathan Harp, uh, one guy kind of just to my left, which is Cody Webster, and then myself is is wedged in between the bull and the bull rider. And, and ideally, you know, that's uh, that's perfect setup, in, in, in my opinion, of you got one, one guy between the gap and you got two other guys on both other angles uh, waiting to work and, and drag that bull um, um, back away from me and Braden and uh keep everybody sound and and ultimately it worked out good you know Braden did get touched and like i said my leg and, and the bull's leg just um it was kind of a you know just 
freak deals how they landed or how it uh, got on my leg and, and the angle of my leg and how that bull really reached up and uh, tried hooking and pawing at me. Just as one of them days, it was just uh, not uh, not the best day, but you know, it's you got to take those days with the good days as well. Well, you you guys are basically ch- uh, your chest is basically on his head and his back on his neck, huh? Yeah, yeah. Just when it when it gave and that it just I mean I just obviously just collapsed to the ground and once I looked down and seen my leg was, was flopping I I knew I didn't need to stand up at all and cause any more damage so I just inched out of there and kind of sat there waited for for help to come. And Braden must have heard it break too because you can see he looks back here. Yeah. No, it was pretty loud. There's a lot of people that heard it. It sounded like a shotgun, but. Um, And so you'll just heal right up and just get right back in? Yeah. Yeah. So I I went to surgery the next morning. Um, They put a rod and some screws in my leg. um, And uh, um, they had me in a soft cast for a couple weeks. And then the 24th. Christmas Eve, I went and seen uh, Dr. Tammy Freeman, and they went and took the staples out and uh, put me in a walking boot right now, which I, I'm not supposed to walk in it, um, but I can uh, put up to 10 pounds of weight on it, uh, more or less, basically, let my foot be on the ground. Um, I can start doing uh, upper body stuff, core to upper body workouts. Um, you know, so basically, I'll focus a lot on just uh, mobility and, and uh, stability. I'm not going to really try to get into anything too crazy. Um, I can start uh, slowly start riding a bike with no tension on it. Um, so there's there's been so many goals and many victories for sure, especially in a short time. And uh, yeah, we're just again let that bone heal, and then you know each and every day we're really trying to work on getting the the range of motion back in my ankle and my knee because there's still some swelling in, in both uh, the knee joint and the ankle joint. So. It's a, it's kind of a patient process um, now, you know, allowing that bo- bone to heal. Um, but once it definitely starts healing and hardening up, we can definitely start uh, progressing in our uh, in our rehab and, like I said, you know, get back to fight shape and get back to being in that arena. So um, it's gonna it'll be good. And it'll be sooner than later. So um, it's we're looking forward to the challenge. Is this lady, is this the the lady running out? Is that the doctor? Who's that? Do you see this lady running out? Is that the doctor running out? Watch, there's a lady runs out with a, a white, I think it's a lady with a white cow, that lady running at you with the cowboy hat and a, and a mask. Oh yeah, no, that's, that's one of the Justin Sports Medicine uh, uh, team members. So I'm not, I'm not sure who that is. I mean, it might be a, one of the guys or one of the girls. I'm not sure who it is. I can't tell, but yeah, they basically stand ringside just like with any other professional sport you know waiting to to assist a, an athlete and once once the ring is clear from harm you know they can go ahead and come in and start working and and that's what they did they've been so awesome you know so many to so many rodeo athletes and um giving back and helping us get get back into the arena in the best shape possible so we're uh we're two weeks almost three weeks into this recovery and uh, the comeback's going to be good when do you get to um go back do they give you a date uh not 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 really yet you know like i said we're still pretty early in the game um i've heard a lot of you know anything from you know three months to six months so um i i truly feel it's going to be on the shorter side of that um i feel that i've 
I've come quite a ways already. Um, you know, talking to my trainers and doctors and that, everything looks really good. So it, it all depends on just how it heals. And I'm believing in a good, uh, speedy healing um, through through it all. And um, we'll just we're just gonna keep working on it each and every day, getting that range of motion back, getting that strength back, and and uh, uh, you'll see us back in the ring before long for sure. What's it mean when you say um, uh, pounding the arena? That term. Uh, pounding the arena. Uh, I get yeah. back into the arena. I guess is more. Or less it's not a derogatory term. I thought I heard you use it in a derogatory way. I thought you. I said, well, it's not like I was just out there pounding the arena. No, no I heard it in uh, one of your interviews, and I go, I wonder what that means. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I okay. Guess. <laughs> uh, um. You did something that, um, which I found interesting that a lot of great people do as a young boy, you, you snuck away to fight bulls illegally, right? Right. (laughs) I don't know if I'd say illegally, but yeah, I would sneak away when I was young and go to the, what they call practice pens where they buck out bulls and guys get on and practice. And I started doing that at a young age in a sense where before my mom and dad really knew what I was doing and. Um, after, after the fact, when they found out what I was doing, you know, I was just thankful that, you know, they didn't shut it down on me. You know, they supported it in a certain way, I guess you could say. But uh, dang sure uh, had to, uh, you know, work my way, way way through it all, you know, and, and you know, kind of uh, earn their trust and respect through it, I guess you could say. But, yeah, no, that was kind of what I, when I did, you know, sneaking away and, start fighting bulls that way it, it's um it's interesting at such a young age you already knew what you were gonna do i mean it's so uh well it made me think of bill gates i, I remember hearing a story about bill gates sneaking into a place where there was a computer um there was only you know when he was a kid there was very few computers but he knew where there was a computer on campus somewhere at some college in washington and he would sneak away to use it even though he wasn't supposed to and i was just imagining you as this young kid <laughs> And that's why it seems like you're still so young, 35, but yet you're like, you're, you're a senior member. You're, you're a veteran. You've already broken the glass ceiling. You know, every, every day that you're alive, you break the glass ceiling in your sport. It's nuts. It may have not even been considered a sport when you got into it. Right. And now uh, it is a sport. Well, I, think, I think it was, but it was okay. It's really showcased more of, you know, the, what, what kind of athletes are actually out there that perform you know, in rodeo, because it takes, it, it, it takes a lot of time and dedication. It doesn't matter what side of the ring you're on, you know, and, you know, and, and that, so that trickles down to the athleticism that it takes to do it. And so, yes, the showcasing of athletes definitely grown over the last five, 10 years for sure, but it, it's always been considered a sport. There was an interview you did where a guy asks you, Hey, Dusty, have you been watching the Olympics? And you said, no, not so much. I've really been focused on the CrossFit games. And I was like, I w- that, that was crazy because, I mean, that just made me realize what a CrossFit you are because, I mean, that's like everyone in the community, right? They're kind of like the Olympics. What? Like, why? Like, yeah. if the games are on, why would I watch the Olympics? Yeah. And that that well, really resonated I, with me. I like I like watching the Olympics, but not, I can't sit and watch all the, the events. Because there's, I mean, origami. I mean, they're just they're, nothing against some of the some of the events, but. There's certain events I do like, you know, but I don't know. Just the CrossFit Games is it just overrules for me. Just going back to the, just some of the people that I've got to really follow over the years, and you know, kind of become fans of. You know, it's just 
drawn me more to that. Now, if the Olympics and the CrossFit Games weren't going on at the same time, I'd probably maybe watch a little more Olympics. But right, if we're gonna pick or choose one or the other. Is probably the CrossFit Games. Oh, dude, the CrossFit Games are phenomenal. The yeah. the it's um. Have you been? I haven't been yet. Like I said, that's always been over uh, some of my rodeos. The only time that I could actually went and helped would have been the the COVID year when they went to the ranch, but they didn't. You know, they had limited staff and everything, so I didn't. I didn't go out there. And um, one of these days when it actually does uh, not cross, I'm I'm entered for sure. I'm going out. It's it's mind boggling the stuff you see these athletes do. You. It's like looking at the Grand Canyon. It really is mind-boggling. It's like you kind of can't get your head wrapped around it. You're like, really? They're doing this? Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 something I definitely want to want to watch. And I've got another good friend that follows it pretty good. That uh, definitely we're gonna make it make it work one of these days. Hopefully, it doesn't fall on one of our rodeos where we can do it. But uh, just wait and see. Thanks for your time, man. Hour and forty eight minutes. I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. No, I appreciate you having me and, uh, shoot. I hope all's good. Have a good day. Yeah, it was great. It was great meeting you. Um, I'm glad, uh, Dave Castro turned me on to you and, uh, and I'll be in touch and I'll be, and I'll be rooting from you rooting for Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one.